0: I'm Shelley Schlender. This is How on Earth, the KGNU Science Show. Today is Tuesday, May 16th, 2023. Coming up, we talk with the founder of this week's Gold Lab Symposium about science and health, Larry Gold. We're back live
1: on the Boulder campus, Thursday and Friday, May 18th and 19th. We have more people now thinking about artificial intelligence and talking to us about that. This is meant to be a biologist, mathematician, citizen's dialogue, and I'm kind of looking forward to it.
0: CU Boulder's Gold Lab Symposium is back, live and in person, this Thursday and Friday. The symposium will feature locals and speakers from around the world, with scientists who discuss groundbreaking biology, people with personal stories about health and disease, experts in bioinformatics, and discussions about how advancing technology impacts us all. You can sign up online at the Gold Lab Foundation to reserve a spot to attend in person at CU Boulder, Or you can sign up for a Zoom link to watch virtually by going to the Gold Lab Foundation website and registering. For more about the all-day symposium happening this Thursday and Friday, here's the founder of the Gold Lab Symposium, Larry Gold.
1: A couple weeks ago, Larry Hunter, the math guy, said to Larry Gold, the biologist, did you read this paper in Nature about aging? And it was a Paper that had an idea about aging that I had never thought of in my life. We called the authors and they're coming. So, two of the authors of that remarkable paper that was just, you know, a couple of weeks old are coming to talk as our last two speakers.
2: Larry Gold, there are a lot of articles in science magazines about aging.
1: Mm-hmm. This one's new.
2: What on earth could be new that people know about aging?
1: These authors, and there are many, there are 20 authors on this paper, think they found the major source of aging in fruit flies, mice, and humans. And if you correct that molecular event, you extend lifespan in the organisms where you're allowed to do that experiment, which is not humans.
2: Is this like the fountain of youth? If, if you drink this elixir, do you suddenly live forever?
1: Probably not. I always think that lifespan is tied to quality of life, and I'm more interested really in high-quality life than I am long life where you're miserable.
2: But I want to know the secret.
1: Well, I can tell you a secret that smells like math. I can tell you what the secret is. The paper reveals it. There's a process that all cells in our body do. It's called RNA synthesis.
2: That's where...
1: The DNA becomes RNA, and then the RNA goes on to become protein.
2: Okay, so that's where the body takes the blueprint from the DNA, and and then it prints things up according to the instructions on the DNA And poof, there's a protein.
1: And the intermediate is an RNA. We used to think it was just a tape. And Tom Cech's Nobel Prize was for the complexity of an RNA molecule doing things. So this is mRNA, thought to be a passive tape. mRNA? Messenger RNA.
2: Messenger RNA.
1: There's an enzyme that makes messenger RNA in every cell in your body. The enzyme that makes RNA progresses down the DNA with a velocity. And if the velocity is slow, it gets to be very accurate. And if the velocity is too fast, it becomes less accurate.
2: You know, I've heard this happens when my plane is getting ready to take off. There's supposed to be somebody who has a checklist, and they go and they check and make sure that all the bolts are tight and that the fuel is in the plane. You'd like
1: them to do that slowly. You
2: want them to do it slowly because if they skip a step...
1: That's right. So this is a rule in biology and life probably is that quality control is inversely related to speed, and you'd like to go slowly can't go too slowly because then nothing would live. And these people in this paper discovered that as the creatures that we understand well get older, their RNA polymerase gets faster and less accurate.
2: It's like that checklist person Mm -hmm. checking off to see if the airplane is safe or not. It starts getting scattered and talks a little bit with its friends and says, oh, you know, this part's fine, let's just hurry up because I want to go home and rest. Yes, it is like that. You know, we're not supposed to do this, are we? This is anthropomorphizing mathematical calculation that's happening within our cells.
1: I think we should anthropomorphize a lot, to be honest with you, it's fine. You should think any way you want.
2: So here you're talking about how there's a marker. Can you measure this protein to see whether it's going too fast?
1: And these guys show in the paper that if they slow it down a little bit, that it gets better and you don't age as fast. Oh, my God.
2: Well, if you don't age as fast because something's going slower, does that mean you have to walk slower? No, 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 no. And you, you, you laugh like a sloth. It takes it, you 10 minutes to I get the joke.
1: Agree. That's like we would be talking. Whoa, whoa. You know, it's not that.
2: But I'm going to pause again thinking about this because if what they've discovered is that if things go too fast in the body, then it's more likely to have wear and tear and damage faster. There's more chance of cancer there's more chance of the body not repairing itself. And I think of all the things we do that are to rev up our bodies. The simplest one I can think of are the weight loss drugs, which oftentimes have to do with revving up the whole metabolism, speeding it up so that you burn more calories. If these guys are right, you're going to shorten some people's lives by doing that.
1: I think what these guys would say is something we've all thought about for a long time, that the more errors you make in biology, the faster you age. And also, because of errors, I know this well, one generates tumors from healthy tissue. So mutations are a source of cancers. The paper we just read that we're going to hear about offers at least that first glimpse the possibility of there being fewer mutations and therefore fewer cancers possible. So we're going to see. There will be a million questions that these guys will be asked.
2: I guess if I was in the audience, I would ask, what can I do with my sleep, with what I eat, to keep my body humming along at a level where the rate is not too fast that it starts to make errors? It is what you would ask. Would you?
1: I'll do it for you, and I'll let you know what they say.
2: (laughs) But the other side of it would be someone saying, pharmaceutically, what can we do to force the body to slow down with some drug that we make that goes in and locks this process in so that it's always slow? Yep,
1: That's exactly the way the brains of the pharmaceutical industry will go when they have fully accepted this paper.
2: And what if the other brains then reply... If you lock in this going at a slow, steady pace, and suddenly there's an infection, say a virus, that finds a way to get in and gobble up our cells and multiply, at times like that our body naturally will go and speed up the metabolism and
1: speed up the immune system. Speed up
2: the immune system.
1: Between speed and accuracy, you want to make sure you optimize that for life.
2: When there's a fever, your body has heated up, and that's a way of speeding up. That's a great way to have your body make a lot more white blood cells. They make them way faster than if you don't try to lower your fever. But your body has to teeter on that edge of being too hot for a while. What would a drug do if it were locking the body in and keeping that from happening?
1: So I think that the drug possibilities from the last talks we're going to hear are fascinating. And these people knew about this result that was just published for the last three years. So for sure, they're thinking about this.
2: So we'll find out. Yeah. And as usual, I'd be a little bit frustrated listening because... There will be a lot of money that can go into drugs to make this kind of thing that slows down the errors if that's possible to do. Even though my hunch would be that if people figured out the formula for how they live their lives, they could do the same thing and still provide the flexibility in the body to also speed up when it needs to.
1: You know, you and I have talked every year about these sorts of things. What we both hope, including me, is that what we're thinking of pharmacologically today will in the end be nutrition based more than just pharmacological that you've been consistent about that for all these years and i agree with you that wouldn't that be a wonderful way to improve life quality without it having to include you know some expensive drug that Whatever your preference is, you know, granola in the morning. I'm not I make nothing up because I don't know what it should be. But for sure it is appropriate to think about food as being a drug-like.
2: Food, exercise, meditation. Yep.
1: Even me, I started yoga this year. Look out! I I can't I still can't touch my toes, but I'm hoping at the age of 81 maybe by 92 I'll be able to touch my toes.
2: Well, and so that will be part of this discussion a biomarker that you can look at to see is the body going too fast and making errors. I think
1: that's what this is going to be. Yes, maybe it'll be less exciting than I think, but I don't think so.
2: Which is more exciting? The fact that there might be a way to measure that in any person's blood or the fact that you might be able to make a pill that would control the speed of this error checker.
1: The only reason you do diagnostics is so you can do interventions. So it's always better if you know what you're doing to do interventions, but sometimes you have to do diagnostic measurements to figure out what you're doing.
2: What if someone like me said that the most important thing you're talking about is the diagnostic that the possibility of measuring whether or not the body is going so fast that it is creating errors yeah. is more powerful because you could apply it to anybody. You could, you could take in a group of Seventh-day Adventists and see do they have more errors happening in their bodies than somebody who parties every night and drinks a lot of alcohol. So
1: one of the kinds of research we don't do enough of is to ask about both lifestyles and genetics, meaning tribalism, to know whether groups of humans are better off than other groups of humans because of things we didn't know about.
2: The challenge is that with humans self-reporting, what they do with lifestyles, you just said it's a mess. Yeah. Well,
1: if you ask the average person, "Do you drink wine?" They say, "Oh, yeah, I do. I have a glass every fourth day." And as soon as you hear that, you make a little note, and the note says, he's lying.
2: (laughs) Are there any markers that you can use in your vast library of markers to tell whether someone's telling the truth or not about what they do? Yeah, including alcohol, yes. Are people looking at more of those? Yes. So this person says, I never drink alcohol, and this marker says, this person had eight shots of tequila every day there's a potential there to go beyond the pill that's put beside the plate and instead look at what are ways to go beyond somebody self-reporting what they think they're doing with their body
0: yes I'm Shelley Schlender. this is how on earth the KGNU science show we're talking about how bioinformatics might be able to help people know what they're eating what they're drinking how they're handling stress and what all this is doing to help or harm their health. We're talking about how this might affect people's healthcare choices. And we're talking with Larry Gold. He's the founder of the Gold Lab Symposium that's taking place at CU Boulder this Thursday and Friday. The symposium brings together scientists from around the world to speak about groundbreaking discoveries in biology and in bioinformatics, as well as the implications for our health. You can sign up for the Gold Lab Symposium online at the Gold Lab Foundation website to attend live at CU Boulder or via Zoom. Each year, the Gold Lab Symposium includes a discussion of a rare disease along with efforts to cure it. For more about this year's rare disease topic, here's Larry Gold.
1: The end of Thursday, Lauren Rosenberg the mother of Sophie is going to tell us about Sophie's disease.
2: It's such a heart-wrenching disease this little girl has, and yet it's also a medical mystery that might have something to do with every person in the world who's ever had any form of arthritis or any kind of broken bone. Do you think that's true?
1: So, you know, we did have a speaker one year, a guy named Mark Fishman, he was the head of all of R&D for Novartis. And he gave a talk about how working on rare diseases turned out to be, in his mind, very helpful for diseases that affect more of us. And And I think that could be true, should be true. And we've coupled Lauren's talk about Sophie with a guy named Roland Barron, Baron B-A-R-O-N who's an extraordinary expert in bone metabolism. So you'll be able to learn both about bone development as well as to hear the story of Sophie.
2: So Sophie is this little girl who has this rare disease called multicentric carpotarsal osteolysis. What a mouthful. She's one of 30...
1: 30 to 50, something.
2: 30 to 50 people who've been identified who have this disease where it basically starts dissolving the bones and the cartilage in her hands and her feet.
1: Either dissolves the bones or the bones are not made properly. It's very difficult to know which is the one going on.
2: If you look at the photos of somebody with this disease, it looks like they've got a hand that looks like somebody who's 100 and has a hand that's very gnarled, and it's a hard thing to see in a little kid.
1: All true. I mean, that's The trouble with rare diseases is almost, almost always, not always, but almost always, they affect children.
2: It's also an idiopathic disease. That word means somebody saying, we don't know how this happened. Yeah. Do we know?
1: We know a lot more now than when we started working with her two years ago that we put together a huge group of 20 scientists all around the world who work with Lauren and Hosea and Sophie, including people at Anschutz in Denver, to try to figure out how to help her.
2: In the write-ups about this disease, this multicentric carpotarsal osteolysis, it sounds like it has a genetic component
1: Every one of the people that has this disease, everyone has mutations in a little teeny piece of one protein that we, through a guy named John Swindle, who worked with Sophie and Lauren and Hosea, figured out what those mutations do. And so we know more than we did two years ago.
2: Do you know whether there's some people in the world who have that same gene mutation, who never show up with these hands that are dissolving when they're little tiny kids.
1: So we, we genetics types, thought that was a plausible idea. It was a hypothesis that I was very fond of. Turns out to be wrong. How do you know it's wrong? Because the people from Regeneron, the company Regeneron, have sequenced a million people. You know, their genes have been sequenced. Are there any so-called normal people? in the world that have the same mutations that she, Sophie, has, and the answer is zero.
2: Well, that narrows it down a bit.
1: It was an extraordinary piece of help from the people at Regeneron who stepped right up and helped Sophie and Lauren and Hosea and this group of scientists.
2: And that's another example of artificial intelligence because if I'd been looking through note cards. You
1: never would have found
2: it. But artificial intelligence blinked and it had the answer. That's right. Okay, I'm going to ask another detective story question. You've probably looked at the protein expression that is generated by this one teeny tiny mutation. What does that protein expression show you?
1: You're going to hear a little bit about that from Lauren. Yeah,
2: but give us a sneak preview.
1: In the work that has been done so far, the mutation causes a particular protein... To be overexpressed,
2: too much of a good thing.
1: Yes, too much of a good thing or too much of a bad thing. Sure.
2: What does this protein do?
1: It's a transcription factor. Means that downstream from it, you might make a lot of different RNAs that you wished you didn't make. It's possible. So the thing that John Swindle has been doing for. Lauren and Hosea and Sophie, is trying to find drugs that, as accidents, have an impact on the protein that, when overexpressed, does harm, to find drugs that lower the level of expression, and that might counteract the mutation.
2: In many rare disease situations, mm-hmm. It is possible to intervene genetically when they're very rare like this. Sometimes it is the genetic and pharmaceutical interaction that solves the problem. Yeah,
1: Yeah. this is a disease that does have an inflammatory component and actually was misdiagnosed in Sophie's case as juvenile rheumatoid arthritis for a while until they found out what it actually was.
2: Well, it sounds like your hope is to help find a pharmacological agent that will stop this overproduction of this overheated transcription factor. Have you found it?
1: We're going to have that conversation at this symposium.
2: Oh, is this something where you know the answer, but you're saying you have to come to the symposium?
1: I wouldn't do that. You should come to the symposium because it's fun.
2: (laughs) But you're hoping that the conversations at this symposium might lead a little closer to an answer for this rare group of little kids whose hands and fingers are dissolving. Yes. Rheumatoid
1: arthritis is an easier disease to see as an inflammatory disease than this thing.
2: Is the protein expression similar?
1: I don't think so, but that's a question.
2: Is that, though, one of the ways that, in addition to the humanitarian side, of just trying to solve a problem for somebody who was born with something really unusual, is to see what insights we can get.
1: About other more common diseases, yes. I don't know if you remember, I've worked with people in Boulder and people in Denver. uh, Down syndrome. The Linda Cherik Institute, the Down syndrome thing, that was started by Anna C. and John C. and Michelle Witten, their daughter, because their daughter, Sophie, the same name, was a little girl with Down syndrome. The real problem, a problem, which you and I talked about many times with humans, is that there are a lot of them, and they're outbred so that you have all kinds of genes flying around in offspring and you never really know what's cooking.
2: So you don't get to have a bunch of transgenic mice that all have exactly the same genes that That's you right. raise in exactly the same way.
1: We don't. We don't have that. And that would make health care easier, but it might make life quite boring, when it?
2: And at the same time, with all of our artificial intelligence, you're not only seeing ways that the body is, what are the choices people make, and how does that affect the expression of their genes?
1: Yep. So I agree. I mean, there will come a time we tried to start an institute that became the BioFrontiers Institute, which Tom and now Roy Parker and Leslie Linewan run on the campus At one point, we were talking about making that institute's specialty molecular nutrition. And you would have loved that because it makes sense. And there will come a time when the micronutrients that we eat will be thoughtful. I mean, it's not thoughtful today. When you get a vitamin pill today, it doesn't matter which of a hundred you get. They all have the same stuff in them. They're just all marketed without sign.
2: Yeah, but, you know, for me, it'd be the macronutrients that would still matter more. Yeah. It would be whether somebody's eating beef or milkshakes or drinking those five shots of tequila. Mm-hmm. That sounds actually inviting some days. <laughs> that, that, but let's do a summation here.
1: Summation is we're back live on the Bowler campus, Thursday and Friday, May 18th and 19th, because of Larry Hunter's signing up to help me and Meredith Guerrero choose the speakers both last year and this year. We have more people now thinking about artificial intelligence and talking to us about that and the impact of that on biology research, like we did last year, and this year it will be there again. As usual, the questions we will be asked by the audience will be stimulating. This is meant to be a kind of biologist, mathematician, citizens dialogue, and I'm kind of looking forward to it.
0: I'm Shelley Schlender. Larry Gold is an internationally recognized scientist whose research at CU Boulder has spawned many science discoveries and commercially successful biotechnology patents. He's the founder of the Gold Lab Symposium, which takes place all day this Thursday and Friday. To register for the symposium, sign up on the Gold Lab Foundation website. You can sign up for attending the talks live on Thursday and Friday, or you can sign up for Zoom. That's all for this edition of How on Earth. Our executive producer is yours truly, Shelley Schlender. This week's show was produced and engineered by me as well. Our theme music was written and produced by Josh Cutler. Additional music from Bonobo. Visit our website at howonearthradio.org to find past episodes, extended interviews, and hot links to the topics we've talked about today. Questions or comments? Call the KGNU comment line at 303-447-9911. For How on Earth, the KGNU Science Show, I'm Shelley Schlender.